Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Oscar Watch Podcast, the podcast where we look back at past Best Picture winners for your reconsideration. I am your host and priest, Stephen Buja, and with me, as always, is the devil in my side, Matt Marchetti. Matthew, how are you doing? I I'm good, busy, busy as always, but but winding down, and I'm excited to talk this movie and probably get a little angry. Probably <laughs> Definitely going to get opinionated, so. I would imagine so. Excited for Halloween? I am excited. Yeah, we're sort of it's mellow this year. Everyone's got babies, you bastards. And I'm sorry. Um, so yeah, we're probably just gonna chill and just watch some flicks and hang out. It'll, it'll be nice. It'll sort of be a nice change of pace. But we've done enough this this <laughs> yes. so far to, to, yes. to warrant things. Yes, and I actually saw you this past weekend, and that was or no, two weeks ago. It was last Sunday. It was last. I don't. What is what is even time? I don't. It was like five days ago. I don't know. It's all, it's all they all just bleed bleed together. Anyways, but that's not what's important. What is important is Matt. We have a super duper special guest, ladies and gentlemen. After a such a long absence, welcome back to Oscar Watch, the original co-host and horror aficionado extraordinaire, Mister Alex. Ribiello. <sighs> hey guys, thanks for having me back. It's so great I having you back. It. Alex, uh, we've missed you. I've missed you terribly. Uh, how, how have you been in the months and months it has been since you were last year? I've been good. I've been keeping really crazy busy. You know, family stuff, work stuff, school stuff, all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very busy. Yes. Have you had a chance to get out to the theater? Movie theater. Not as much. Not as much as I uh, would like to, although I'm going to a, I'm going to a night to dismember at the uh, Nighthawk uh, oh. coming up this weekend, which should be fun. It's a it's a movie marathon, a horror movie marathon that starts at midnight. Awesome. And uh, they're showing a lot of good stuff, like a uh, Mask of the Red Death and the Babadook and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, a couple of there are a couple of did I see a couple of thirty five prints on there. Yeah, a few a few DCP, but uh yeah, but most bunch of them are thirty five. Nice. Yeah. That's that's my dad. Yeah, lots of David David Lynch coffee, which I which I love that that's a thing. <laughs> David Lynch has his own coffee brand, and I'm apparently gonna have an unlimited cup of it. So it's oh. strong. Yeah I, yeah, I was gonna say I don't know what kind of uh, mindset that's gonna leave me in. Yeah. I mean, does it? Considering. Yeah, I'm like, is it laced with something? Is it just? Yeah, <laughs> makes you see the world as Lynch does. Right. Is it? Is oh, are they named after specific <laughs> David Lynch movies? There's like there's oh, like the man. Blue Velvet yeah, and the, the Eraserhead. <laughs> it should be. If it's not, it should be. It should uh, be yeah. <laughs> well, that sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, I wish I could go, but things that Babies. start at midnight—it's <laughs> like <laughs> what? <laughs> that's that's ridiculous. What are you talking about? What is that time even? It should be. It's gonna be weird. Yeah, well, I, I look forward to hearing about it. Uh, you know, on social media or whatnot. Uh, you're always your words are always welcome there. But gentlemen, tonight we are here to discuss. The 1973 Best Picture nominee, first horror film to be nominated for Best Picture, and that is, of course, The Exorcist. Directed by William Friedkin, written by William Peter Blatty, based on his novel, and starring Ellen Burstyn, Linda Blair, Max von Sydow, Jason Miller, and the great Lee J. Cobb. And I have to say, I am super excited to be talking this movie with, especially with you two, given your breadth of the horror genre and the influence this movie uh, has on it, and I suppose we'll discuss that, and also because you guys are just really great and it's a lot of fun, and this movie 
is absolutely the best way to cap off our Halloween sort of festival, as it were. Um, So yeah, let's just get into it. Personal connections to the film, or its actors, its directors, anything you got. How? <laughs> when did you see it? When was your first impression? Let's just go. You 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 could go first, Alex. <laughs> Me? Oh, I mean, I'm not Catholic. Uh, most of my friends were growing up. I feel like this is every Catholic schoolboy's like you know nightmare film. This is like mm-hmm. like Catholic guilt put into a movie. So it's definitely it was definitely one of those movies that worked on other levels. I feel like if you're if you are, or if you're religious at all, or you grew up religious, like this is just a nightmare film for you. Um, <laughs> so I, I definitely grew up uh, appreciating it a lot. Uh, but yeah, the funny, the funniest uh, thing is that I, one of the uh, actors in the film was my teacher, um, <laughs> William O'Malley, who plays the priest, the uh, piano playing priest, who gives, really? the, gives the last rites at the end, was actually my religion teacher in in a uh, Fordham prep in high school. And it was, he was kind of a miserable old bastard. I say that very lovingly. Uh, just, just a very, uh, he, he just, he was always complaining about acting in that quote, uh, pornographic horror film. That, <laughs> that he never referred to it by name. He would always call it that pornographic horror film. And he was like, well, he's like a very like kind of like curmudgeon kind of like a uh, lovable old, uh, old guy. And it's, it's kind of funny. So he had some funny stories. Every once in a while he would come out when we get him in a good mood, he would say something about the, the project because apparently he had been hired to be a, a Jesuit priest, uh, a, a consultant because he is a Jesuit priest rather. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's like technical advisor. He was hired as that, and then they realized, oh, this guy's a character. We got to get him in this movie, and uh, they realized he could play the piano and some other stuff. So they got him, got him in the movie. But yeah, so that 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 definitely changed the uh, the feeling of the movie for me after after having to endure his his class for, <laughs> for a year. <laughs> but yeah, what about you guys? How when did you when did you experience it? When did I experience yeah. this movie? I, this is one of those ones, like a couple, a couple that have come up recently that I don't remember the exact time I saw it. I know, like, I started to get into horror, and uh, I think my my parents remarried. My stepmother had talked about this movie, going to see it in the theaters, and talking about um, she actually thought she was hearing like rats in her attic. And I was like, <laughs> oh, well, now I have to see this at some point. You know what? I think I do. I do remember slightly what I, when I saw this movie. Whenever they first released it as the version you've never seen before with the mm. extra mm. footage I, it, it must have come out on whenever it came out on vhs i had like a clamshell vhs copy of it like yes. sleek, sleek black <laughs> as sleek as vhs can get um so whenever that was it's probably mid 90s 1997 that's probably when i saw it the first time and i remember like a lot of these movies that get so hyped up and sort of like pop culture and everything i remember being like this was pretty. This was pretty good. This was pretty good. I wasn't like blown away because you expect to be like horrified, but um, I I enjoyed it, and I think it's a movie that I've actually sort of enjoyed more every time I've seen it. At least aspects of it every time I've seen it. I think that's maybe a hallmark of strong films that sort of get better every time. Like fine wine mm. or meat soup vomited on top of you. It gets better with age. But surprisingly, vomited on top of you. Yes, oh. yes. And we'll, of course, get to that. Of course. <laughs> I know, and I, I, I can just see you just waiting to just just, just, just go off. And it's it's going to be magical. Yeah, I, I'll talk about it for a second. I mean, if anyone remembers from the, our episode on The French Connection, I, I both love and admire and simultaneously fear William Friedkin so very much just from these sort of horror stories um, that you hear about 
him on set and just his overall attitude, even like in interviews. I wasn't even interviewing him, watching like special features, and I'm like, I don't want to be around this man. Like, <laughs> just, like you, you could you could give him your opinion, and he would just keep talking over you, and you'd feel so unintelligent around him. I mean, he's clearly an intelligent guy, but he definitely talks the talk and walks the walk mm. at the same time, and that's really sort of intimidating. <laughs> it's perfect, perfect for you know a Hollywood film director to have that sort of attitude because he's like, I'm getting it my way and that's the only way it's going to happen i mean there was some writer uh, with the original author but yeah uh i said before that i keep a hypothetical or metaphorical revolver <laughs> loaded with one round for william friedkin in case he comes up on me so i have it i have it today it's not a real it's, it's a nerf gun but it's it's intimidating enough it makes yeah. me feel good and safe <laughs> and it has one dart loaded into it ready to go in yeah. case friedkin Appears behind me, which he, which he's known to do. He's smoked glasses, smoked <laughs> sweaters. Psychotic. Does the does the bullet have WF on it? It um, for the sake of the joke, it, of course it does, Stephen. Of course, <laughs> of course, does. but of course, but of course. Have either of you guys read the original novel? I haven't. You have? We haven't. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. I remember reading it at a. I think it was on a Boy Scout retreat. Uh, just there's there's not this it was one of those ones. Something awful happened to you on the retreat, and you needed to see. <laughs> I don't I don't I definitely wasn't at home, and I remember I remember reading it, and I I was so young I don't remember it. It was good, it was good, but it was like oh yeah, it's a bit more expansive than the than the the novel uh the movie, and I can def- I definitely see why they were like, yeah, we're gonna turn this into a movie, and it's gonna be horrifying, and uh, I think it fleshes out some of the uh, Max von Sydow things just a touch more but um yeah my i guess i think i rented this from the the old local movie uh movie rental house saw it on vhs on a tiny screen at at night of course oh yeah <laughs> terrified uh, i'm sure my mom would have would really appreciate hearing that she's always like you saw this movie I go yeah I knew some people you know, at the was it your house, or was it your like friend's house, or cousin? Because I had a cousin that would like older cousin's house. I would go over, or a friend. I had one friend who I saw every single horror movie with, and my nice. parents did, had no idea all the movies, all the awful things we were watching. Yeah, sort of did too. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> the way to work. No, I th- I think this I think this was at my house. This was like down in the basement, or like or it was either late at night or super early in the morning, right. or whenever I just I just just watch it once. It's like this is. I was a, I was a, scared of the dark at the time, and you know had to go up back upstairs, and I was like, uh, "This is not good." <laughs> you know, <laughs> just good. just run through; it'll be okay. It'll be okay. But uh, yes, those are. <laughs> uh, we are going to take a short break, and when we come back. We're going to talk about the Academy Award nominations and wins that The Exorcist picked up at the 46th Academy Awards in 1974. So stick around. I would like to thank Mr. William Bloom, who taught me the rudiments and the craft of screenwriting, and Billy Friedkin, and my late parents, who came to this country on a cattle boat, and whose love and whose courage have brought me to this moment and to this place. You've honored them tonight, and I thank you very, very much. The Exorcist was nominated for 10 Academy Awards at the 46th annual show on 
April 2nd, 1974, and it walked away with two. But first, what was it nominated for? Gentlemen. Many, many things. Ten things total, as Ten you thing, said. Yes. Uh, so the nomination, obviously Best Picture, that's sort of what we're, what we're here to, to talk about. And then a bunch of... Uh, uh, acting awards, right? Best Actress in a Leading Role for Ellen Burnson, uh, Best Actor in a Supporting Role for Jason Miller, mm-hmm. uh, Best, and again, best, oh no, best Actress in a Supporting Role for Linda Blair, which I have some issue with, and we can talk Yes, about. the Academy had some issue with yeah, uh, yeah, on yeah, that yeah. one it's as well. Funny, actually, like I was reading that, and I was like, we agree on something. Mm, I feel yes. like I should stop this line of thought, because we shouldn't agree on anything ever. <laughs> um, best Director for William Burton. <laughs> Who previously won two years before for the French Connection? Yeah, you can't say his name too much. It's like sorry, Morty gives him too much power. He's the Candy Man now, or something. Something. You <laughs> want to say his name three times? <laughs> Crap! I think we're over the limit. Pop up behind you with a, with a gun with blanks in it. Land is not a good thing. Oh, that's what I I I regret not having that. Just start shooting. Damn it. <laughs> uh, oh, the things we could do. What else? What else? What else? We're missing some. Missing some. Cinematography. And he said confidently. Yes. Uh, yeah, cinematography for Owen Roysman. I think it was the same. It was the same DP for French Connection. I believe so. I believe so. And then uh, art direction, set direction, film editing. Film editing. Yes. Yes. Those are the eight it was nominated for, and it picked up Best Adapted Screenplay uh, for William Peter Blatty, also wrote the novel, and Best Sound, which I would say is very well deserved. The sound in this is very, very effective in creating the things it creates, as it were. (laughs) Yeah. Ultimately, The Exorcist, uh, which was released on December 26th of 1973, it was one of the highest-grossing films of the year. It all it lost to The Sting in what was a tight race up until the very end. Uh, Alex and I discussed the uh, the Sting in the episode The Sting, and you can check that out. We are not fans of that film. I remain not. People have tried to argue with me that it's a good movie, and I just have to shake my my head and go, no, it is. It's fine. It's is it best picture? No. Is it certainly? It is certainly not best picture over a lot of the other nominees that year. And you can hear our thoughts on that as well. I'll be honest. I actually forgot I had seen it. <laughs> thinking about, I was like, oh yeah, we talked about this for an hour, and I watched it, and I was like, wait, this thing, this thing, this. Oh yeah, no, we have seen it. It's it's a pretty forgettable movie. It's, it's, <laughs> like, it's so forgettable. Just a year later. Oh, has it been that long? Oh, something like that. Something like that. Wow. It's been too long, buddy. I talked to you all. I talked. I texted you, but I never see your face. Anyway, <laughs> uh, this was Jason Miller's debut film role. He uh, recently won the Pulitzer for writing the play that championship season. Friedkin saw him, or and was like, "That dude, yes, we need to get him for yeah, this no, role." They had hired someone before. Yeah, they had. Uh, they Stacy Keach was uh, had been hired. I would have they, loved they to have go. seen. Stacy Keach. Yeah, they bought him out of his contract. Yeah, but that would have been a completely different movie. Been, yeah, so I, I just picture him just walking around with a, a glass of scotch. Just, <laughs> ever, just it, for no reason, just having it. Just like, yeah, Stacey Keach. <laughs> yeah, like the subway. <laughs> <laughs> just, 
and nobody's calling him out on it. And, and he he just punch he just punches the he just punches Regan, and just to be like, no, that's the exorcism scene. Yeah, it's just, it's just him punching her. Different movie. I can see why they may have gone a uh, yeah. different different direction there. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, you about the other guys they considered though, right? There was also uh, Marlon Brando, which apparently uh, Freakin was like adamantly against. Because uh, I mean, that would be a whole other thing. Uh, I mean, I know he wanted to cast all these unknowns, um, so Brando was out, and also Nicholson, which <laughs> Jack Nicholson in that character. Oh. Yeah. Oh, it was, awful. I mean, they could have cast Nicholson as the demon. I think that could have worked out really well, but not, not as the not as the character. Yeah, I, J- Jason Miller looks like a dude who went into the seminary with a crisis of faith and just never, yeah. never lost it. Dude's dude's intense, and I look forward to, uh, to discussing that. And yeah, since we you know covered all that stuff, let's just head right into the movie, gentlemen. What does IMDb say? The plot of The Exorcist is you don't remember. I have it right here. And I got, I, while people are talking, i got to look up. I, I read the best IMDb plot synopsis. It was not for The Exorcist. It was for something else. And it was just amazing. And it's like it was so succinct but pretentious and inaccurate all at the same time. So I'll read <laughs> okay. this one, and then as we're chatting, I'll, I'll see if I can recall what it was. Okay. But uh, for The Exorcist, it says, uh, when a girl is possessed by a mysterious entity, her mother seeks the help of her daughter. Mm. I mean, <laughs> sort of. I mean, <laughs> two pre- like two priests eventually yeah. show up, but it's really just the one Doesn't priest. Go out to the, like the store and like, hey, you got two priests. I got. I need you know, need some help here. I need an exorcism. Just like you know, just the standard exorcism. I, I can't. I can't afford the deluxe package. So yeah, just yeah. like two. Is that all? Two? Not not three. Just two. Thank you. I want to get one free deal. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I guess uh, to be let actually to begin at the beginning, uh, it begins in what, North Africa with Max von Sydow. Uh, yeah, yeah, in, 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 yeah, in Iraq with Max von Sydow, who apparently was he was aged up, and this yeah. and I think this is why I always think he has been yeah, that age yeah. for always because they made they they made, he was forty years old and they turned him into like an eighty five year old dude who looks. Yeah. Astonishing, like Max von Sydow does when he's older. Uh, brilliant I mean, I work. Say that, like he looked exactly like he did when he in his later years. It was it was pretty nuts. The everyone always kind of raves about the makeup effects in this movie, but they don't really talk about how impressive that is. That nobody even realized that he does. He's not wearing makeup. He's I just realized 44. it for the first time in getting ready for yeah. this. I just, I, yeah, I, I had no idea. Even knowing it and like like looking for it, it's not really apparent. It's it's no. it's impeccable. It really it's, it's really it's, amazing. It's, it's, and he and he sells it too. He sells it as the old dude. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's really good. It's it's really good makeup. Well, I mean, it's. it's, it's I mean, I mean, obviously, if we're, if we're talking about the makeup, we have to mention that this is uh, Rick Baker's first movie. I think he was the assistant to the uh, the head makeup guy. Oh, to Dick Smith. Yeah. Yeah. Dick, Dick Smith was a. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's, he's, a, he's great. Yeah, and for those you know, Rick Baker, if if you, if you love a like a particular set of makeup or prosthetic, he probably did it. He's, yeah. He's yeah. A legend in a legend in the field. So. He's been, uh, I've been slowly. Um, I've been trying to introduce uh, like uh, horror movies to my children, and to do that, I've been I've been slowly kind of trying to show them that special effects are fake. And I've actually been using a bunch of like Rick Rick Baker has a bunch of things on YouTube where he shows how he turns someone's face into a zombie and stuff like that. <laughs> They're really really cool. He's, that dude's still doing it, you know. It's, it's pretty awesome. pretty amazing. Yeah, he's yeah. A, he's a he's a workhorse workhorse. But um, 
but going back to the beginning, it begins in Iraq. Uh, you have Max Monsito, Father Marin. He's he's basically he's basically in a in a mini Indiana Jones movie. He's a priest who's also like an archaeologist, which is freaking freaking amazing. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, how is the beginning? How do how important to the story do you feel the beginning is for the larger whole of the of the film itself? Hmm. So, like that, as narratively. Not much happens, but it's all about mood. I always say it's like the most, it's the most like European horror this movie gets. It's very, um, you know, surreal and there's just a lot of like bizarre imagery and you're never quite sure where you're, like where you're standing, where he's standing. You sort of know what's happening, but you don't really know. Um, Yeah, I mean, I would argue that it, it, the movie just started in, is it Georgetown, right? I'm right there where my my blind is. Yeah, yeah, if it just started there, I would. I think I would be so bored in the beginning, <laughs> just like watching yeah. Chris on the film set and Regan, and they're like, oh, "We're having a good time." Like I would just be so bored that they. I love that opening because it just it preps you for something. Um, it preps you for the inevitable sort of you know flash when, when Marin returns, which is like way way late in the movie, um, and I just think it sets up a completely contrasting mood to what it turns into kind of this like sort of family domesticated horror um so it's i think it just works really well visually it works really well sort of atmospherically so i think it's really important to it at least from my point of view yeah i I, I definitely i definitely agree it's i think it's it sets it sets a tone for the entire film if it started with yeah if it started with her acting career and you know just right into their lives you would you'd be completely bored out of your mind for the first 20 20 30 minutes whatever it is before things start picking up uh, it gives you a little context into uh, what what sort of demon you're dealing with, mm-hmm. how ancient. You know, they they're, they're like how you know just a couple with just a couple of lines. Just the the fact that you know they're finding something that shouldn't be there, uh, while while they're digging up stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, there's also like that other kind of religious aspect to it. We have uh, a lot of like we hear a lot of like Muslim prayer, um, and you see the people praying and stuff like that. It adds another kind of layer to the all the messed up religious stuff to come. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I, I suppose. Yeah I, I yeah. I suppose recently I've been trying to like find ways to make movies shorter. But uh, mm-hmm. you guys are. That's actually very convincing because I was I was watching this and going this, like it kind of comes back in the end. You see the statue of Pazuzu, the name of the demon, uh, sort of like especially if the the version you've never seen. They added more of that. Oh, they did. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I forget. I haven't I haven't seen that one in a while. I think that might have been yeah. the version I saw. So what was this, yeah, this, a couple extra images, like uh, kind of the background, almost like subliminal, um, or not. Sometimes just pretty blatant, like you know, there's like a shadow that turns in the into shadows. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. I do remember that. I do, I do remember that. But yeah, it's a very, it's a very mood. It, it is a, a great moody beginning, and it's a, a a wonderful contrast to to the things. And uh, I know, I know, I know you're you're terrified of Friedkin, but he is a he's a ruthlessly efficient uh, filmmaker. <laughs> Yeah. And and he's just ruthless, just just in general. Uh, that he's able to he's able to tell almost he's able to tell a mini a mini story using yeah. so very few words that and the you know the the wind and the chimes are all very um, very unnerving unnerving. But then you finally do we do get to the main crux of the of the film, which is in Georgetown. It follows Chris, an actress who is filming some sort of movie with a cheeky director. Mm, yeah, he's and, yeah, yeah, he's, he's fantastic. His her daughter's there, and uh, what I love 
is that it never like if you didn't know this was a horror movie you would be take you'd be so taken aback by what's happening it's so it's so it doesn't play up really it doesn't like it's not in your face about it it's all like little things they say mm-hmm. subtle bits here and there until until finally it, you know it it blows up and you have the shit flying around and, and all that but it it takes it's almost an hour in before you before it becomes concrete that there's some there's some bad shit happening here you have like <laughs> the cap, you have the captain howdy thing you're like oh that's just the that's just a this is a weird you know it's childhood era. thing but yeah. it's uh it's it it adds a looking back it adds a, a sinister element to it um how do you uh i guess it really comes down to like Linda Blair and Ellen Burstyn, their relationship. How uh, how is that? Uh, how 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 is how is that portrayed? And how is that really held up over the uh, over the forty years that this movie's been out? So I, my master's thesis is all about family and horror movies. So that was like all I was looking at was their sort of interactions. And I actually thought right. it was it was sort of funny that um, it, it actually felt sort of modern right i mean the, the single mom trope is like it's it's all over horror films in the 70s and the 80s like divorce rates were way up in america in the 70s and 80s so it makes sense that you're going to have um single you know single uh, parent homes uh, and you, of course you're going to have the mom because women are sort of looked at as well they're the more vulnerable ones or the ones the sort of audience can get behind a little bit more than the men um but yeah i sort of in my in my thesis i sort of argued there is she a good mom or is she sort of like more aloof than we sort of think? Hmm. Um, and I, and I think I sort of landed in the middle. Like she's not, she's not awful. Like she clearly cares about her daughter. Um, but there's a sense that she sort of, she sort of made Regan sort of a, already very vulnerable and in, in, in the way that she sort of would move her around to her filming locations. Um, and, and Regan sort of been forced to grow up a little bit faster than she might need to be. Which I get way into in terms of like uh, the sexualization of her character as the, as the possession starts stuff starts happening. So um, it's not that they're like explicitly linked. She's not like oh, she's moving around makes makes her more vulnerable for possession attacks. Mm-hmm. But there's something there about um, you know the sort of tumultuousness of her family that creates um, a, maybe an easier target for the possession. I don't know if that makes sense, but okay. that's sort of what I was looking at. Yeah. So was Regan always was she always going to be possessed, and what lesson is learned from uh, her possession, or is it even learned by Chris and, and Regan, or is it learned by uh, Miller and O'Malley, or uh, Karis and O'Malley? I mean, there's definitely a lot. Le- we were talking about the sort of Catholic guilt at the beginning, Alex, right? The sort of this like good versus evil. I mean, I think Friedkin had said the the whole thing was just about like faith in crisis and that was it everyone's mm-hmm. trying to like dig into these different details but like any good asshole he's just like nope it's just about this that's it nothing else you can't think about it any other way and i mean it's true everybody sort of goes through their own crisis of faith whatever their faith looks like um in the movie and they sort of come out the other side different maybe not better but different some some are dead <laughs> some are some are not dead um but yeah i i think that that's sort of interesting that we're sort of left to um speculate what goes on and we're supposed to not talk about the sequel not talk about the sequel ever <laughs> yeah it's don't. Just, just miserable uh, <laughs> it's a miserable thing so yeah i don't know i feel like i'm i'm spitballing but that's what i 
that's where I land. No, spit all away, Alex. Yeah, no, I, the whole thing with the the relationship. I mean, if I find it really interesting because as a, as the single mother, I almost see that she's she's almost um, you know you can see how much she does for her. One of the things I liked about the film is that she goes through this whole progression of different experiments. She goes through like pretty much everything they could possibly do uh, with the med- medical technology at the time. They do yeah. everything. You know, she kind of goes above and beyond. But I do see that as kind of like uh, her trying to. Uh, she's, she almost seems guilty of the kind of life that she's given her her daughter. Yeah. She seems a uh, very, uh, you know, she's like she has abandoned her daughter in a way. She's trying to make up for it in this uh this whole other way, and um, you know, uh, she seems it's, it's it's yeah it's her crisis too. I mean, it's it's you know like I said, it's not really you know of course not religious faith for her. It's just a family. She's she's kind of moved on from her from her husband and just trying to make a new life for her and right. trying to fit her daughter into it, but she doesn't know how that all works. Right. So I think, yeah, I, think, I love the way that it, it builds up to that though. It's, it's, I think it's, it's pretty brilliant how slowly and how uh, methodically everything goes. And, and just, it is kind of like a, as, as you know, someone who has to deal with like a, a figuring out what's wrong with your kids. Sometimes you, you kind of <laughs> do go through, you do go through these stages like, ah, maybe it's nothing. And then, oh, oh, wait, maybe we have to go something and, you know, and just scale it up from there uh, and, and worry about uh, what you're doing as a parent at the time too there's a, there's a lot of crazy uh I, I was looking at it from the other uh, point of view i guess i was looking at it from the the parent side um trying to empathize with her so it was a, a sort of a complete well, a little different way but um <laughs> but yeah it's 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 pretty interesting to, to take it from that and it's it's kind of it is kind of amazing that this you know back in the 70s that they this was i mean this wasn't done where they're talking about the single mother um uh, raising a kid by herself in a film that that's it wasn't really a common theme at all no no it wasn't and she, and she had help too. She's fancy, right, fancy right. actress. Yeah. But yes, what yeah. what what I like about her is that she's obviously she's she's a non-religious person, but she goes she mm-hmm. goes through like I just say she is turning she's turning to science. Like science can fix this. Science can fix this. You know, and it's actually some of the, some of those scenes now that now that I have the now that I have the daughter when you know you, you just see. They're drawing blood. I'm like, oh no, oh this is more terrifying than all yeah, of the head intense. turning. It's 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 very intense. It's uh it's it's almost a rebuke of like, yeah, your your science. It's so it's isn't isn't that nice? It can't do shit against this, and you have to go back to the, <laughs> it, the old ways. Right. It does seem almost like a condemnation of that. Like you know, that it's almost like the whole thing was futile. They should have just gone to if they only been religious, gone for the exorcism right away, right right away. I, but 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 then you wouldn't have had that like really slow. This is not happening. This is not happening. The the build up that uh, rule up, up everything else. You know, it's it's perfect. It, it, it's it. That's what makes it. I think so kind of realistic and believable because this this is not a movie that you know. It's a, it's a movie about a, a demon possessing somebody. It's not something you can just kind of jump into and have the audience go along with it. The fact that they're she's doing what every rational person would do in that situation. It, it makes it more realistic and scary when it eventually. Like you kind of come into the realization with her, like, oh yeah, this isn't just her daughter being crazy, yeah, and having some yeah, psychological and, issues. Yeah. Although it's kind of also interesting too that, like, you know, there's definitely a looking down upon psychiatry or mental health uh, <laughs> from the '70s. There's definitely a lot of that. It's like, oof, you know, that's not really, you know, it's kind of they're kind of, you know, that's like the last chance thing for her. Like, God, right. God forbid, we should bring her to a psychiatrist. That's <laughs> oof, you don't want to do that. <laughs> no. No, what do they know? What do they know? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's um. Oh, we're, I had a I had a point. Oh, it was gonna be it was gonna be All so right. good. Oh, anyways, oh, actually, well, that actually of psychiatry that does bring us to our 
supporting they say supporting character. He's really one of the main characters, and that is uh, Jason Miller's father, Damien Karras, which is if that's not a priest name, I don't know what is. It's like the dude, dude was he was he was born, he was gonna go and he was gonna go into the uh, the, the seminary. Um, he's intense. Um, he is he is where the where the modern and the and the occult sort of sort of meet up. He's a psychiatrist. But he's also a priest. I think he was a uh, he's one before the other. I can't remember which. I think he was a psychiatrist. Uh, priest first. Priest first. They, they, sent, they sent him to school for psychiatry. <laughs> yes, uh, sent him to school yeah. for psychiatry. And um, she, she, yeah, she asked that like she's like yeah. a strange road, route to go, and he started. <laughs> yeah, that's why he's having his. Uh, that's probably why he's got having his crisis, though. He he got educated. <laughs> right. <laughs> I understand. And, that, and, and now, no. but, that, but now he's being confronted with the, like the like back in the day, every like what would just be a, me- a mental illness to us yeah. is mm-hmm. demonic possession, and now he's faced with literal demonic mm-hmm. possession, and he uh, and it, it, even even he was like, no, it can't it can't be it. Like, mm-hmm. stop talking about exorcism. Yeah. You're crazy. Like it doesn't. That's it's not a thing. for him too, and 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 uh, you know, Pazuzu uses the perfect uh, uh, you know, with his mother. If it weren't for that uh, messing with him, with the uh, with his lines from his mother and talk about his mother's death and stuff like that, that's the only thing that that makes him actually believe it too. So yeah, it's kind of interesting that he does go through almost the same uh, the same journey as mm-hmm. uh, as Chris does. Yeah, it takes a while to get to there. Yeah, and, but but with the added with the added bonus of um, well, not bonus. Uh, <laughs> with, with 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 the added knowledge that he couldn't save his mother, and so he yeah. wants to, he's like, I'm going to save this yeah. this person, and no matter what, no, no matter what, because I wasn't there for my mom, and I can I can actually I can relate to that, uh, just just in some way having uh, missed the death of uh, one relative, just like just a little, what just got there a little too late, and that uh, kind of like I could have. Like I couldn't, I couldn't have saved you, but I could have been there to for you know, so you weren't as alone as you were. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, it's it's something I think a lot of people who have lo- certainly have lost parents, uh, I think, can relate to. Like I could have done more, or maybe I shouldn't have kept him in that house, and I should have like spent more time with him. And he's he's racked racked with guilt, and through it's ironically through the demon, it's how he <laughs> finds his way home. And uh, unfortunately, he uh, he dies doing it but uh i mean you know taking in a demon and then throwing yourself out the window because you your willpower overpowers said demon mm. is kind of a baller way to go out if you think about <laughs> yeah. it he, he he wins he wins at the end he 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 uh he's, he's a, he exercises himself yeah you know, he, he uh yeah. he gets he gets what he wanted he, he gets his uh, closure too and he, he did his good deed that he yeah. was and, and yeah, and I think his faith is a is affirmed because you know he does, they do yeah. get the they do get the demon out. So everybody, I mean, he doesn't win, but you know he that's as close <laughs> to winning as I think you can get. Was he yeah. not? Was he in one of the sequels? Was there a, a prequel with him? Yeah, he's in the, he's third, in the one? third one. Yeah, he's in the third. Yeah, it's. I'm actually looking it up right now because I feel like it's very bizarre. But I think it's just. I can't even get. <laughs> So, so the third one yes. is a movie that like I would recommend people seeing because the yeah, the third one's pretty good. The third yeah, one's... it's it's very like intense, and I think it's it's actually like I actually remember finding it far scarier than the original, just in terms of like the shock and awe of it. Mm, uh, yeah, particularly the the uh, Brad Dourif character. 
Oh, he's like, in some, it. Of his, some of his monologues in the uh, prison cell mm-hmm. as this Gemini killer are just horrifying. Like, he gets so into this role, and I, I actually remember watching it at one point, and, and, I, and my wife, Steph, was like, can you turn that down? It's really frightening me. Like, it's <laughs> like, like ripping people apart, and it's just like, yeah. it is horrifying. Uh, yeah, he's, he's got, like, it, the... it says Karis, so he is in it, yeah. Yeah, he he shows up in it, because uh, uh, he's in the hospital. Um, but um, it's also got, like, possibly one of the best jump scares in, in the... film history, too. Yeah, yeah, with the shears. Uh, it's, yeah, not to ruin anything for you, Steve, but there's a, there's a great moment that just comes out of nowhere. It's just basically this, like, long shot of a hallway, and there's nothing much going on. There's, like, a nurse checking our rooms. And then there's, like, this, like, this... this Think this figure comes lunging at her with like shears behind her, and it like zooms in with like this shriek. Oh, it's geez. the one of the one of the like just watching it on like YouTube, it gets you. It's like it's one of those. Yeah. It's so effective. Yeah, it works and, really well. And and you know a thing about jump scares? Didn't you make like a top yeah. twenty jump scares in video games or something? Or is it? Uh, yeah, I did like a history of history of jump. I was I spent like yeah a couple of weeks like researching jump scares and scaring myself cool. silly. It was a really <laughs> dumb way to <laughs> spend time. But um, yeah, watching a lot of a lot of horror movies to try to figure oh, out which movie. ones had good jump scares. But yeah, that one actually that was like one of my my top ones because it's it's really good. It works. It's one of those ones that works even if you know it's coming and you're like. I can oh. explain the whole scene to you. Yeah, and you'd still be like horrified when it happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> We're gonna okay. send you the clip immediately after. Okay, well, we'll we'll post it on one of the one of the pages, I'm sure. Uh, well, okay, so it's a movie called The Exorcist. Uh, I was, I forgot how little time the actual exorcism took. Um, it, it, which 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 is fine. They don't they don't overdo it. It's a very, uh, very intimate, very terrifying thing. Um. But I was what? Um, how? I guess really, like, how does that scene play? Because, like, it's basically that's basically become like the tablet for how exorcisms happen. I think that's like it's kind of like how we, the mob is now basically what the Godfather said the mob was. I feel like exorcisms and certainly exorcist movies are essentially all right. We're gonna have this scene and all this weird shit's gonna happen. How does how does this the sort of progenitor? play having been followed by 40 years of imitators like like every six months we have a new movie where we're exercising someone like how does it how does it how does it still hold up it it's more it's definitely more well no it's not definitely more character driven but it feels more character centered right it's not necessarily about the the sort of effects and things going on it's definitely about that too but it's definitely more focused on sort of all the characters' arcs building up to this moment, whereas a lot of other ones I've seen in, in modern films, um, I think, uh, don't do that. They're really focused on just frightening you with just really horrifying imagery. The, the only one I can think of recently that I thought was character-centered and still very effective and frightening and sort of disturbing was the, ex- the exorcism scene at the end of the first Conjuring. I think it was yeah. the first one when they're okay. in the basement and the chair and everything. Like, that was... That was like that's really intense, and I'm completely invested in every one of you guys. Like I don't, I'm like I'm. I that's why that's what makes you the most scared. When you're scared for the people in the movie, that's when you really get frightened because otherwise you know you're watching a movie and you're just like, well, this is loud and flashy and scary, but it's not like really gonna sit with me. Um, and I think I think in that in that way, um, this still works really well. I, I'm I'm gonna say that I'm if not for Jason Miller. Uh, I probably wouldn't be as invested in the scene, 
just I just feel like he he sort of sells it more so and, yeah. and Max von Sydow they they both sell it a lot more so than um, I think Ellen Bernstein and Linda Blair is not you know she's at that point she's just like a puppet half the time <laughs> screaming yeah. and doing things like that yeah. but I think the priest characters really sell that. Yeah, if it were were referring for like Miller's uh, crisis that he's having at that moment, I don't think you'd be nearly as invested in it. If if you weren't watching him uh, slowly break the script and then grappling with his own his own, that's almost more exciting than than her lifting off the the bed. Just watching watching this man uh, uh, going through unimaginable uh, pain uh, of his own. It's this uh, still grappling with the death of his of his mother and having to be forced to uh, relive it. in such a horrific way, so it's it's yeah. I don't think without it, yeah, I don't think that that would have worked. Although it's it's it is amazing to me, like how iconic, uh, you know, like you said, Steve, it's such a tiny moment of the film. Like, what is it? Probably like five ten minutes of running time. It's it's uh-huh. probably not even that. Um, and it's and it's it's. I mean, all the lines that we know, all the effects. It's it's <laughs> when you think of The Exorcist, you're not thinking of like you know Alan Burstyn uh, acting in the in front of the school or you know anything else. Right. Uh, you're thinking of his head spinning and pea soup and 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 uh, power Christ compels you and right. all all that stuff. But it's it is it it without all that work though, I don't think it works at all. Without all that build up. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a great payoff to a very intense and intimate movie, and that's what that's what really makes it because it's not like it's a movie that it's it's a family drama that has an exorcism in it. It is not a not just about. The Exorcism, despite being called The Exorcist, which is just like a really, a really cool title. The, I mean, like, because like the actual The Exorcist it's a is, title, though. It, it's a strange title because yeah, we see him wanted at the, to sell books and movies. Yeah, <laughs> because 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 well, they well, see him because you, Exorcism, and I still never understood that. Yeah, because 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 you would because you would think you would follow you'd be like all right we're gonna follow this Max von Sydow guy for that's, two hours. That's why, the, that's why it's the, that's why the title. It's William Peter Blatty said actually he's like the yes. character sort of disappears for so long and you're like wait a minute it's called The Exorcist <laughs> where is the guy who and we know right. that old guy is gonna do it he's gonna be the one who's gonna come back and then he it shows would make up. more sense then with with Brando yeah. or Nicholson because then <laughs> you're like where the hell did Brando go for the whole movie <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like it's got to come back sometime yeah you notice yeah. it a lot more yeah but, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I, I do have to admit uh, the when Marin does return uh, it's the you know there's a light shining on the lamppost dark foggy I, it's one of the most brilliant shots in cinema it's just it's and it's got the music oh, under it and you're just like you're like some shit's about to go down like this yeah. is like buckle in, we're going for a ride, son. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's a William Friedkin movie, and so Matt, we've come to it. I have a page of uh, what I call Friedkinisms, which yeah. is uh, <laughs> it's the bullshit he does to his actors. Um, yeah. He is he's a man who will get a good performance. Uh, come hell or high water, and it's mostly mostly hell. Um, do you have? Do you know some of the things that he did to his poor actors? I think, I and it, it might be the guy. He was he slapping one of them. Was he slapping one of the priests? It was it was claimed that he slapped. Yes. Um, the guy to get him to cry, and that's is that the is that the, the yeah? I think I no. I I I, I, th- I think I think he slapped uh, Alex's teacher. Okay. Yeah, something I wish I could have done. <laughs> that pornographic movie. <laughs> yeah, no, he did. He smacked him uh, apparently uh, for the last right scene, I think it was, oh. uh, to get him to get the right crying reaction. <laughs> he just oh smacked him in the face. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's see what else. Um 
there's a gun, right? Someone fired a, he fired a gun. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't he fire a gun? That's he why, just... that's why, Steve, I carry this, because he's walking around directing movies and he's armed now. Are you kidding me? He was dangerous was... before. Now he's a menace. Yeah, it's a start yeah. it's a starter pistol. He was he fired it behind Jason Miller <laughs> to to get a properly scared reaction. And Miller was like And Miller was like, hey. I'm an actor. Yes. I can act surprised. You don't have to do this. <laughs> and also, he's a theatrical actor too. So like, he's he's already kind of a, he's a little bit over the top with some of this stuff. You can definitely see a little bit of the uh, theatricism. Is that a word? And in, in him, uh, he's definitely a little more uh, broad with his uh, acting. Um, I don't know if you needed that, but yeah, I, I would love to know which which exact shot it is that he's when he's if he's startled at any moment. I can't think of one. Yeah. Um, Yes, just throwing some blanks. But, but the, the uh, but there's there's a story where the famous vomit scene where Regan spits up on um, on Karis. It it happened in one take, and it was supposed he was supposed to get spit up on his on his shirt, but it was on his face. And Friedkin says it was a mistake. He's like, oh, the the rig malfunction. I'm like, no, it didn't. You <laughs> like, I just I like. Maybe it did. I'm gonna say it. I'm like, no, no. It, you you meant to do this, and it's a great reaction. He's genuinely horrified, and it's like, what the? Yeah. But uh, so there's that. Uh, I think Ellen Burstyn, either Ellen Burstyn or Linda Blair, or maybe both of them have permanent back injuries for being yeah, both yanked around. <laughs> yeah, uh, apparently like something fell out, fell on her or got yanked. I, yeah, and she like she like either broke or injured her her uh, her tailbone, I think, or her. Uh... Jeez. Yeah, yeah, she, yeah, yeah. From the from the the bouncing bed scene, yeah, she, she yeah, was like har- she was harnessed in or something around. like that. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Same with uh, same with Ellen Burstyn. I like yeah, I feel like I have written down. Like, oh, yeah, apparently he used like their screams of pain from like their broken bones or near broken <laughs> bones, like in the film, like the. <laughs> oh, it's this uh, guy recording. Guy, this, man. This, like, this, I can see like just let him keep making movies. Like, what's going on? <laughs> I will know and stop him freezing. <laughs> While you're shooting in a freezer too, that's the other thing. Like they shot it in a damn freezer. So yeah. he's got a giant the, coat on. I've seen all the yeah. pictures. He's always got a giant yeah. coat on. Everyone else yeah, is like, freezing their hairs and like a nighty. <laughs> yeah. You know, like everyone's freezing. Oh, yeah. It's... Gotta get that breath. I mean, it's effective. It's it very is. effective. It works, but like. Did we not have you? Did we not have a union back then? There was nobody on set being like, "Hey, Will or Bill, you you can't do this." And he's like, "Shut the fuck up! No, I can do whatever I want." I'm only freaking and just smacks yeah. him across the face with his Oscar and just just go. But um, the, speaking of speaking of Oscars, uh, Linda Blair was famously nominated for her role as Regan. She was 12 at the time. She would actually lose to Tatum O'Neill. Uh, for Paper Moon, making which marks it, yeah, not sharing datum, datum, okay. datum uh, who would uh, who w- is still to this day the youngest person to ever win a competitive Oscar, but the Academy is not too thrilled about it. And Marchetti, can you tell us why? Yeah, I'm gonna. I mean, I I remember like three quarters of the story, but it's because the majority of the the dialogue spoken by her character is spoken by another person, another actress, correct? Uh, Mercedes yes. something, McCambridge. McCambridge, something. yes. Yeah, that was pretty close. Okay. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's sort of a weird 
thing to do. I actually remember reading about that several times in like my research for the thesis too, just because it comes up. I don't know why that, that fact comes up a lot. It's because everyone's trying to stop William Friedkin from his bullshit, and, <laughs> yeah. and no one's been able to successfully. Yeah. Did, did she not get credit at all? I think it was maybe something with like early prints. Yeah, like that yeah, I, yeah. She, I, McCambridge did not get uh, credit for her voice early on. They, 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 they later added her it. voice. It adds yeah. a whole other level to that film. Like, uh, like without that voice, without that horrifying. Oh my God, she does that that growl. Oh, oh like so it, well. It's so. Yeah. It's, it doesn't need anything. It just just that voice. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, she uh, she she was known for having that husky voice, but she had stopped smoking, so she started smoking again to get the, <laughs> to get the effect of it. This is what freaking William freaking does cancer. to people. It just yeah. gives them cancer. <laughs> Yep. But uh, yep. yeah, the the Academy wanted to rescind the nomination when they discovered that it was actually McCambridge, who who like Linda Blair is okay. She's she's a fine kid. She is adequate in the all the parts when she's not she's possessed. More than adequate? I wouldn't say she's she's better than most. I mean, okay. as far as child performances go, she 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 sells it. I think okay, she, she, okay. She, she she sells it. But like the real meat of the character. Is when she's possessed by the. By the I, I agree. Okay, I agree. With yeah, that. and plus also I am uh, I I'm pretty sure that her, she did not twist her head all the way around. Uh, <laughs> no, you yeah. know. Um, not real commitment uh, there. Have you been to the? Uh, you've been to the moving image, right, in Queens? Yeah, the museum. Once or twice. They have the the actual the the doll on display. The, they have it there. Does it does um, it occasionally just like turn there. its head? I it should still turn. I don't know if it still works, <laughs> but uh. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, they have it. They have like a little horror nook. It's got like a werewolf in the howling and nice. uh, Nightmare, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. The Freddy Freddy Five is uh, his shirt, like the giant shirt, and they have a uh, Linda Blair sitting there. Uh, but uh, yeah. yeah, and you're off. It still it looks about as real as it did back then, which is <laughs> not terribly. That's like there's a couple of shots where like all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I remember seeing it going. This would be terrifying, except. It's not. I mean, like it's the the mere fact she's turning her head around. That's that that in itself is horrifying. But it does look a little yeah. cheesy, and I'm glad they they don't linger on it. It's like I think yeah. it's two quick it's shots. Quick. That and but it it became like that's the thing that you remember from this movie. You remember this little girl's head turning, and so it's it's yeah. used effectively. Unexpected, yeah. It's oh, definitely it's... it. it they, they do. He does such one thing I really love about the film as far as the scare is that it never lingers. It just immediately cuts and then you're off on another scene and you're just like, what the hell just happened? Yeah. You don't have time to process anything in the movie. It doesn't, it doesn't let you, it doesn't stay with anything. It'll shock you. And then just like, okay, we're, we're, we're outside somewhere. And you're just like, what, wait, what, what is going on <laughs> yeah, here? I don't happen. know. They, they just yeah, destroyed her room and now we're doing this bullshit again. Okay. That's fine. Selling. You have no idea what's going on. Yeah. You don't know what's going to happen next. It's, it's, it's pretty good. It, I feel like that's, a uh, that's much like a shooting a William Friedkin movie. You just have no idea what's going to happen next. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine what happened on the Hunted. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things that is most memorable about the movie is the use of tubular bells, which watching this again is so it just is almost not in the movie at all. It's yeah. It's, it's in like very, a, it's, it's used once or twice. It's it's used twice. One of them is a walking scene, and the other. I forget when, but it's just this, it's so little, but so memorable. You're like, why isn't this used more? Uh, which I, which I love. I, cause I, I love that piece of music. I actually learned it was written by a 19 year old kid. 
And uh, it, it, it freaking just walked into some, uh, I think, some record studio, Atlantic Records, and was like, was like, oh, this this record looks cool. Played it, and then he was like, oh, yep, this is going in the movie. Where's it going? Uh, we'll find a we'll find a spot for it. The most innocuous things, not even a, it's not even related to any of the scary moments. It's just literally Miller Miller walking down the down the street. Yeah, it's almost like background music, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and yet it yet and yet now and yet now like thus spoke Zarathustra. And they'll say from 2001 and Singing in the Rain from A Clockwork Orange. It's become the exorcist theme. Was it Was it used in any of the later movies as well to any effect at all? I'm sure. Yeah, it definitely was used in right. three at some point. I, I, I recall it being used. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm saying definitely, but I have no fucking clue if that's true or not. <laughs> Basing it on memory of a film I saw. Also, after it became such a cultural phenomenon, it had to be right. I think they would expect it. I, don't, I can't think yeah. either, but um, yeah, I would assume it's, so. It's, it's popularity actually sort of skyrocketed after right. uh, Halloween in 1978 because it uses very similar like kind of atonal polyrhythms. It's very, it's it's very like on the same note in a lot of respects. And I think I remember like they were they would sell um, like horror soundtracks on TV. And Tubular Bells was always on there. And I was like, I don't remember Tubular Bells from The Exorcist. It's because it's only played for like 30 seconds right. of the movie. Um, not like the Halloween theme, which is like every scene of that movie. Yeah, right. yeah it's interesting. Like, like, like what Steve <laughs> was saying about like the spec. They're like, oh, the other movies you mentioned, like those are like like Singing in the Rain, The Clockwork Orange. It's a pretty significant moment in the movie. The yep. spec, uh, that I can never, I can never pronounce <laughs> that. that. That's a pretty, that's a pretty important mo- yeah. moment in the movie. This is just. It's it's not nothing. It, it's it doesn't really add anything to the, yeah, the part at all. Yeah, yeah. And the, I mean, the 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 actual soundtrack that exists is actually pr- it's pretty scary, but it just gets washed away when you're like, oh, two people else. Wait. Yep. Ooh, I, it's, I, the hit, I, it's the hit single. Yeah, it's the hit single that it's a hit single that like they didn't want to make. It's like it's like it's it's, it's, it's like extreme blame more than words. They're like, I don't want to fucking do this. Song. It's called tubular bells. Like how it's like a surfer road or something. Yeah. The tubular bells, yeah. man. No, I can't not. It's like I just that's all I can think of when I hear. Oh, this is tubular bells. Totally, <laughs> totally tubular bells, man. Uh, <laughs> Try not to hear that from now on. Yeah, um. <laughs> you are welcome, guys. Have any of you seen the TV show on Fox? I've seen, I think, the first like couple episodes. I I keep hearing uh, good things as it's kind of gone on. I think it's on season two or season yeah, it's over. Yeah, but, it's, yeah, yeah. Uh, particularly on horror sites, a lot of people talk it up like they love it. So okay, yeah. see it. Is it? Wait, yeah, same. I've seen a couple. I have my way through though. Yeah, Alex, isn't that written by Slater from Chud? But created by Slater, yeah, Jeremy Slater. It's his, oh. it's his baby. It's oh, his, uh, cool. Creator and uh, writer. Good for him. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing, I'm hearing good things. I think John Cho's in the second season. It's just always, always curious how these film to TV show things are, and things yeah. are working out. But yeah, all right. So we're, we're winding down. Um, is The Exorcist still scary? I think for I think like the key moments like we we sort of talked about the things that people remember those maybe don't hold up as well but I, I think in, in in terms of um the sort of like unity of effect I think that's a Poe term I, I think as as far as the whole movie goes that everything you see in it and and the feeling you get when the movie's over I think yeah it still scares people in a sense of I, I think people too often hear is it scary and they think jump scares I think mm-hmm. for me a scary film is one walk away from and you're still sort of thinking about it it makes you sort of 
you know, run through the house quickly as you turn, turn the lights <laughs> off because something might be there. Um, it doesn't even necessarily have to make you, it doesn't, like, I don't, I didn't question my faith. I, I had none then and I have none now. <laughs> but it, it's, a, it's a frightening movie because it just feels like you, it feels like, um, it was, a, I don't know who wrote this, but when the movie The Witch came out, there was someone who, I'm going to paraphrase it, I'm paraphrasing it correctly, but someone said, it's like we're watching something we're not supposed to be seeing, like we're sort of like mm. a fly on the wall during something that we really shouldn't be a fly on the wall for. And I feel like that's how we are with this movie. Where we're sort of really invested in all these characters and scenes that we really shouldn't be a part of necessarily. Um, and I think that sort of in, in, sort of integrates to the whole of the movie. When, by the time you get to the end of it, everybody's exhausted. <laughs> and, and so are And that's why you can watch like all these great... Uh, it's on YouTube. There's a ton of uh, great clips of people interviewing people after coming out of the movie and their responses to it. And they're just... They're great. I'm sure some of it is a publicity stunt, but it's just funny watching these people sort of talk about the movie as if it's like the the second coming of something. So, yes, it is still scary to a like a younger audience. It probably isn't going to um, shock them as much as they probably expected to, considering the sort of hype behind it. Right. Um, but I think to a you know appropriate audience of people whose brains actually you know the synapses actually fire, um, I think you will find <laughs> something disturbing about this film. <laughs> yeah. Alex. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd say it still it still holds up. I think it's definitely uh, works among you know. I think it still holds its place well among the best you know the scariest movies of all time. I think I think it works with that. Um, it it's it it's still yeah. It it is because it's the characters work so well. It, it's not relying on jump scares, although it has them. It has a really good one too. That scene in the attic uh, got oh. me this time. Fire. Um, yeah. Yeah, the fire yeah, igniting. Yeah. Uh, there's there's some good uh, and there's still moments that just doesn't that don't make sense to your mind you know it, it it's so it's so so horrific that, that it's still even knowing it uh, and having seen and not seen it in a few years helps of course but not you know even knowing it and going into it you're still kind of horrified by what you're watching yep. watching a 12 year old jab a crucifix in her oh, crotch and all, all these <sighs> horrific things um and I, I really think it is though that fact that uh, and that's why I think it's so successful too is it to mainstream audiences is because it, it does bring you into the world it's not just immediately starting it off with this girl's possessed and she's throwing stuff at people and you know kicking people out windows or something like that with jump scares because <laughs> like like other movies have tried like they're, they're, it's they, all these other possession movies haven't haven't done it as well but it kind of it slowly brings you into the world it makes you believe in it, it makes you believe in these characters it makes you care for these characters and and this is like the final showdown when the priests are going up to that room it's like they're they're ready for war yeah. it's, you're you're, you're yeah. almost hyped for a <laughs> big finale and, and it, it works um but yeah, and it's still still terrifying. It still works, and it's still it's still shocking, which is kind of amazing. The forty years later, whatever it is now, uh, it's 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 shocking what they did. Like it's shocking that this is a mainstream film, yeah. Uh, even today, so yeah, I I I think it still holds its place in history rather nicely. Yeah, um, it's certainly been oft imitated in the uh, four decades since its release. But it holds up extremely well, and I guess I guess this is this is me being older now. When I first saw it, it was oh, I'm going to check out this The Exorcist. I hear it's like pretty scary, and like whoa, wasn't that cool? But now you see it more. It's it's it is it's firmly a horror film, definitely is. But it's it never loses track of its characters, of the of the dynamics between them. And, and and the relationships, which is which is really important. And as you know, somebody who now has a daughter, I go, oh Jesus, you know, this, is, this is terrifying on a whole other level for me. Um, 
<laughs> and so, uh, and good, and I think good and great movies can age with you because there's a lot more. There's a lot happening in them. They can uh, they can change. They you know they change they change with you, and you can always discover new things that that are going on with them. And it's uh, still. If it's not as scary because maybe there aren't as many jump screen jump scares, maybe I saw it on, you know, maybe I need to see it on a bigger screen in a darker in a darker place. It's unnerving. It's all there's just this weird sense of that something is coming. Yes, I know what it is, and it's this horror, this demon exorcism. But even everything before that, they make the, they make uh, poor Damien's uh, Damien's life it's like it's so. Uh, just messed up, and you you feel awful for the guy. I'm just watching him, like, oh god, I just want to give you a hug. Somebody, <laughs> Lee J. Cobb, will you just just be a human being and hug this man or give him some whiskey? I don't know, just do something, <laughs> anything, anything, anything. Um, and yeah, it's uh, it's still it still works, and uh, I can see you see why it has been imitated so much because of it's so it's so effective. Like I don't think anyone's really touched it. Since then, because everyone, they focus on the wrong things. All the all the all the executives are like, oh, people like Exorcist movies. We're gonna give them Exorcist movies. They're like, no, that's not the point. You're mis- but, okay, sure, fine, whatever. Um, and now, of course, now the next question. This is a four-year reconsideration episode. The Sting won Best Picture. Does the Exorcist make a good case that it should have won Best Picture? I think it does. I think we just sort of laid groundwork to say that it does. And I think, too, um, I wanted to make a point that, you know, 1968, Rosemary's Baby came out and people saw that you could make something, you could make a horror film that was mainstream and that would, people would go see and it was popular based on a book that people had read. And, you know, five years later, we have The Exorcist and people are like, oh, they're, they're doing it again. This is a serious, well-made film and people are, are super into it. But, um I like too that The Exorcist and, and Rosemary's Baby sort of connect to things that were going on in the world at the time. So we have tons of like um, evil children, and and that it, and there's a lot of people that speculate it all sort of uh, goes back to um, the sort of uh, origins of birth control in the 1960s in America and how hmm. there was tons of like really really awful birth defects um, to children. A lot of many of them fatal, and we were sort of afraid of sort of monstrous children in the 1960s. So it makes sense that we would have sort of these these children who become distorted through different evils. Um, and then nowadays, you're never going to sort of get away from uh, good versus evil as a theme. It's always just something you can relate to, um, it, whether you're into the religious aspects or not. In this film, you don't have to be. You can still enjoy it. And I think, like we were talking about with the character of Chris and sort of the single mother thing, I, I think it, it sort of um, was prescient in the fact that it it, it, it was like, oh, yeah, there's going to be a lot of uh, single-parent families in the future. They, they didn't know that that was going to be the case, but I feel like you watch it now and you're like, that's really relatable. Like, I, I can't count how many TV shows and movies I've seen where you have this, like, workaholic mom trying to take care of her daughter and then she gets possessed. Well, that part doesn't happen, but right. the first part <laughs> So just by the nature of, like, society and the way things have changed and the way that we can still talk about it for lots of different reasons, I would make a strong case for it. But I would make a strong case for any horror movie that was nominated for Best Picture. That's sort of presupposed <laughs> to doing that. But yeah, I, I could make a strong case beyond the horror stuff. I think they just tried to 
Yeah, I, th- I think I think you succeeded, and look forward to reading your thoughts on it more. In there, yeah. When you finally finish your thesis. On the exorcist, yeah. <laughs> Alex, do you have anything else to add about uh, the Sting no, versus I mean, Exorcist? Pretty much carried it. Well, I mean, well, yeah. I mean, just the fact that I forgot that I'd watched the Sting, even though I discussed it on this very show, um, and 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 I and I remembered almost every beat of the Exorcist despite not seeing it in in years and years. Uh, I think that just shows you uh, what stayed with us. I mean, and really, I mean. If you talk about it in a historical perspective, I mean, there's no comparison whatsoever uh, as far as what's a more influential film or, or uh, stuck with uh, or become a become a part of culture. Uh, I mean, yeah. just, you know, like the fact that two people are bells and I will never get that out of my head. Thank you very much for that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the fact that that even is, 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 you know, just the music alone. If that was like one thing to take from it. That would have been more than the sting gave us. Right. So, yeah, yeah, I don't I don't think uh, I don't think they made the right choice this year. I would wholeheartedly agree. Don't like the Sting. Exorcist is influential in ways that so few films can be. We, I mean, we're still talking about it. You know, people still bust it out every Halloween to watch. Like we're gonna watch The Exorcist, and it's almost a rite of passage. I look forward to showing this to my kid at probably a way too young age or you know just like or just like leave the DVD out and be like no no honey you can't watch this and then she like sneaks it and just That's it's like guy. why did you let me I didn't I said you couldn't watch it oh my god and just uh, be a whole a whole fun thing like that and the, the cycle continues and it, I think it will continually influence uh generations of horror fans to come as they as each generation keeps discovering it and you know taking away different Different bits to, uh, you know, to, uh, to to pull from. Like I don't think we'd have the Babadook without a film like The Exorcist, the, you know, no. the, the single mother, the kid, you know, has a spirit, uh, spirit with him. Um, it's uh, they made a wildly bad mistake, and uh, we're here to say that shame on you, Academy Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences. Shame on you, <sighs> Alex. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, if people wanted to find out what you have been doing, maybe read your thoughts on things, can they go somewhere to uh, to check that out? Oh, yeah, just follow me on Twitter. It's just Alex Riviello. If you figure out how to spell that, uh, you'll find me. <laughs> yes. He has, a, he, has a, he has a lot of great uh, stuff on the Shadow of War. <laughs> Your silly orcs in there. I've been slowly collecting an army of bard orcs because I found out that there's a bunch of singing orcs. So I've been tro- slowly uh, promoting them all to the overlords of, of, of uh, Mordor, and I'm gonna have a singing orc army that's gonna take over the world. Nice, uh, Matt. How's Thirty One Days of Horror going? Thirty One Days of Horror is. It's going. It's like the tail end is always difficult, and I've got like, oh, podcast, master's thesis, and I'm like, I gotta watch a movie for the reviews tonight, and Steph's like, you have to write your master's thesis. I'm like, but I gotta get the reviews out. I can't miss. Um, People read these things. Nobody's gonna read my thesis. Yeah, yeah, 44 to 50 people read them, or at least like them every single day. Are you kidding me? That kind of coverage? I can't get that anywhere. Um, yeah, so I'm on, what's it, today's the 26th, so I'll be posting the 26th tonight. I think, uh, actually, it's it's a film that's at that uh, Night to Dismember. Is that, are they playing huh? The Old Dark House from 1932? They are, yeah. which I haven't but seen. I just excited. watched the, the, the 4K print on Blu-ray, and it's just, oh, awesome. it, I had never seen it before, and I had wanted to see it for a long time. I was waiting for it to come out in mm-hmm. a, a better format than it had been released in in the past. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's going well. I've got a few left. I've got a, a real, I've got a special, um... I mentioned this last week, special 
TV uh, show review that'll be that'll be up tomorrow, nice. and then I'll have a, another TV show review up on Halloween. Which, like I said, one of them you probably would will guess because um, it's not out yet, and one <laughs> of them you should probably not guess uh, because it's no one's probably watching it. <laughs> uh, and then yeah, I got a theatrical movie to see this weekend, and uh, I've got a special Halloween themed film for actually Halloween that I have not seen. I thought I had seen them all. But there was one I hadn't seen yet, and I'm really excited about it. So it's going well, yes. Steve. <laughs> will the, I'm, I'm just wondering, will there ever come a day when you have seen all the horror movies that are at least on DVD? Oh God, are you kidding? <laughs> the possible keep up. I've seen some of the ones I've been reviewing. Like it's, I had to like build a. I have like a list underneath my list of other movies because there's. I need more than 31 days in October, please, <laughs> and we don't have them. So I don't think so. I mean, maybe someday, but I don't want to think about that. Yeah. <laughs> years from now. Years from yes, now. Yes, years from now. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, you have been listening to the Oscar Watch. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can write us an email at oscarwatchpodcast at gmail.com. We love hearing your thoughts. Find us on uh, social media at oscarwatchpod. And be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. That's, that really helps, and we, we, love, we love having that and gets the word out. Next week, we return to our regularly scheduled program. We will be discussing Artie, the strongest man in the world. Oh, wait. No, no, sorry, sorry. That We are not talking about Pete and Pete. We are talking about Marty, the 1955 <laughs> Best Picture winner, starring Ernest Borgnine, written by Patty uh, Chayefsky, directed by Delbert Mann. Uh, looking forward to that. Should have a special guest on. We will see. But... In the meantime, once again, thanks so much for listening, and until next time, we'll see you on the red carpet.